The reading this morning is from 1 Corinthians 4, verse 14 to the end of the chapter. That's from Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth, chapter 4, verse 14 to the end of the chapter. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? These are the words of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Is that on? Thank you, Adrian. Let's pray as we come to the word. Lord, we love the fact that you are a communicative God. You are a God who speaks, and you've given us uh, your Bible, your word for us to, to see who you are, to be transformed by, that your spirit indwells in these words and works it within our lives. May they today stir us up with a passion for you. May they today uh, cause us to have a look at ourselves, starting with me, as to how we're following you. May you inspire us. May our hearts be open. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last week, friends, if you were here or you watched online, you'll remember that Paul was having a bit of a sarcastic rant at the Corinthian church. And and essentially, these are two halves of the same sermon because he comes in incredibly quickly after last week and says, I'm I'm not just doing this to shame you guys. So we can feel maybe off the back of last week that Paul's a little bit harsh But the next line is, I'm not just doing this to shame you. He says, already, this is last week, already you have all you want. Already you've become rich. Without us, you would have become kings. Essentially, he's saying, you Corinthians are acting like you've got all the riches of heaven already. You're acting as if your wisdom already is beyond all the rest of the church. You're acting as if you're kings. And if it wasn't for us, the dirty little apostle that you think I am, St. Paul, if it wasn't for me, then you would be on the throne already, wouldn't you? It's a proper rant. And he goes on, we, he says, me, Apollos, the, the apostles, the leaders, we're fools for Christ's sake. This is our life. We look like fools. But you, Corinthians, you're wise. We, we, we are weak in every way, but, but you, you're strong. We are 
He says, you, the Corinthian church, you're held in honor, but, but we in disrepute. He says, the present hour, we hunger, we thirst, we're poorly dressed, and we're buffeted, and we're homeless. He comes at them with this, you're strong, you're wise, you're held in honor, but we are nothing. Have a good think about how you're treating us, Corinth. Look at how great you think you are. Pulling away from the diversity of all that Jesus has brought into the kingdom. Paul, probably a, a scruffy little man at this point in his ministry, walking to a brand new city that we looked at when we we're looking at Corinthians chapter 1, Corinth. The greatest city in the world with not one Christian, not one church. He went alone. He started to just sew together some leather, making leather tent making to earn a living so that he could tell the person standing next to him in that leather making workshop about Jesus Christ. And so the church began in Corinth. And the Corinthians look back in their history and they look at that and go, they don't have the sparkly stuff of church. They don't have the biggest screen in Southwest London. They don't have all the nice things that we have. In fact, they, they drag us down that history. Let's just kind of move away. Let's push Paul away. Paul isn't scared of shaming people. We are shamed when the truth is pointed out. And Paul doesn't mince his words. Across this letter, we see him call them out, out blankly out, you are arrogant in chapter 5. He says, there is no one among you that can settle a dispute. I'm saying this to shame you. He openly says it. Chapter 11, do you despise the church of God, Corinth? You humiliate those who have nothing. Openly calls out their sin. Chapter 15, he says, wake up from your drunken stupor. This is a man who will not mince his words. He will shame people if they're doing wrong. But at this moment, in chapter 4, we see him say, I'm not writing these words for you to be simply ashamed, but I'm writing them to warn you, to admonish you, verse 14, as my beloved children. You see, Paul does have the status of apostle. He told us in chapter 1. He does have the status in the church to just come in and go, no, 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 I'll move on, thanks. He could do that. But Paul comes in relationally to this church. He says, I'm not just going to shame you. I'm going to warn you. Because you are my beloved children. I am as a father to you. He comes in with this gentle touch, not just authority, but as a father. It's not about status, it's about relationship. Paul isn't using this title over the church as, as some people do. Paul isn't saying um, that he is the father and therefore they should listen. But he's reminding them that he birthed them. This is his baby, this church. Remember the things I gave you, the milk I fed you. Remember the solids as we weaned off the basic stuff and moved into maturity. As you grow in maturity, remember that you do have parents who looked after you. He's saying, don't be the arrogant teenager who storms out the house and say, I don't need you, without remembering that you... You would not be alive without those parents there. Some of us have lived that experience. Don't push back. 
on your foundations, he's saying. Verse 15, you know, he says, for, for you've had countless guides in Christ, but you do not have many fathers. There's loads of people that have given you a one-line wisdom. There's loads of books that you've read that have built you up. There's loads of guides that you followed and thought, you know what, that's a great bit of wisdom for my life. That's a, that's a great thing for me to take on. But you don't have many fathers. Those who, yes, warn you, yes, give you wisdom, yes, give you foundations, yes, give you the gospel, but also walk alongside you. And that's the parent's journey, isn't it? You can't just be the disciplinarian. You're also the comforter at their sadness for the discipline. You walk alongside your child as they learn not to throw food. You tell them off and you walk with them. That's the role of parent, and that's the one that Paul is talking about. Go back to the Gospels. You may have teachers at school, but your parents are the ones who've given the most impressionableness on you. And Paul is saying, I gave you one thing, a raw thing, a simple thing. It was the gospel of Jesus. Jesus Christ, dead and resurrected for the salvation of many. I told you that. But with my telling came something else. I didn't just tell you that. But something else happened as well. We'll move on to that in a second. But Paul wants them to remember that he is the relational father who birthed them and that they need to go back to what he gave them. So you may have many personal desires. You will have all sorts of preferences in your life, as I do. You like things done a certain way. Your style of church that you choose will do things in one way. And somebody else will choose a different style of church. And that's what Corinth is allowing themselves to grow into. No longer just the church of people who do have a diversity among them, who do do things differently, who do have different passions and different segments of mission and different things they care about. But they're starting to grow big enough to say, we're going to follow this person, we're going to follow that person. We can have all sorts of different preferences in church, and the divisions arose. You'll remember that as we covered it earlier this year. If you haven't heard those sermons, they are on the website for us all to go back and remember. So we look at Corinthians 1 and 2 and 3. But you see, what Paul wants them to see is the foundation of the gospel brings unity. We talk about being united in Christ, but we cannot be united around anything other than the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. If we're united around anything else, we will find disunity because nothing else has any power. It's all talk. If we choose style and preference and missional direction, it's all talk if it's not founded on the gospel. And therefore, if we build a church, as Paul is reminding them, on the foundation of what he did as an apostle, which is to walk into a city and teach Jesus, preach the salvation of the gospel, then we will find true diversity in all sorts of uniqueness in what the Holy Spirit is doing in your heart and your heart and your heart with you on mission and where you're placed in work and what your family situation's like, that diversity focused on the gospel will bring unity around Christ and beautiful diversity for the kingdom. 
But you see, it's like light. Jesus was the light of the world, and he says the church, the people of God are like a light on a hill. But when you actually know what light is, you're affected by it, but when you know what it is, you get your little prism out. I think it's GCSE science, isn't it? Get your prism out, and you're going to see all the colors of the rainbow making up that light which has affected your life. That's the diversity of the church. It is one in Christ. It is one in the gospel. When you go close, look at what it's made up of. It's a beautiful, diverse calling of all people, of all backgrounds, of all nations, of all hearts, of all types and personalities called to the cross. But a king who said, come and die. And he brought them back to life in a new life of light, joining a new family of saints with a whole new direction. But when we grow old into teenagers, we can start to think we know more than our forefathers. Start to think we know better. And I just wonder if that's the image we need to think that Corinth is in. We like this. I found this. I want to do this. And so whatever dad says, whatever mum says, they're old school. They don't know what they're on about. But soon enough, we pray they're going to grow up to recognize that Paul had exactly what they needed. The simple, basic gospel. I'm your father. Listen to me. Verse 16, he says, not just listen, I urge you from the gut-wrenching place he asks of this, be imitators of me. Well, we find that a little bit odd for a human to say, follow me, copy me. But this is Paul's mission. Paul, as a Christian, and then also as an apostle, and then also of a leader of different churches in different seasons of his life, he says that I have an integrity of following Christ that you should watch. This is humility, friends. True humility is seeing things for how they really are and being honest and open with it. Paul follows Christ with all his heart, a sacrificial faith that's worth following, and he in his humility is saying, imitate me, follow me, because if you're not big enough at this moment to follow Christ, follow me and you'll see Christ for a time. See, I am bringing up a son at the moment in beautiful um, uh, partnership with my wife, and she makes me far better for it, but we're bringing up this boy, and I'll tell you for free, if I do something, he'll copy it. I've got to watch my words. I've got to watch what I say and do and how I do it, because he just copies it. I've had some blunders, guys. I've said something by accident at the telly, and, and he says immediately the same thing. I have to completely completely pretend it never happened, just move on. He pulls better than me. He knows what it is to follow Christ really well, and therefore he can invite people to imitate, and children do. Be imitators. From silly dances, funny songs, apologizing and comforting, that's what children follow. And Paul's aware of that. Six times in the New Testament, Paul says, follow me because I follow Christ. And in chapter 11, we'll see, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. If you're not sure what Christianity uh, looks like in your life, if you're not sure how to do Christianity, the best way to learn is to find someone who's faithful and imitate what they do. Well, how do I pray? J just copy me. 
How did I learn to pray? I heard someone praying, and I thought, you know what? I can do that. How do I worship? Well, well, we we tend to do it like this, and and you can explore different people. Some will have their hands up. Some will have their hands down. Some will be on their knees. Some will be standing or sitting. Imitate the people that you're drawn to because the Holy Spirit speaks through the church, the Bible says. We are a body filled with God himself. And so find those people. And at this time in in this arrogant teenager's life, they need to remember just to imitate the Father for a while. Go back to basics and see the gospel. And here we come to the second half of our reading where, where Paul kind of, kind of drop kicks the whole thing. He's not doing this to shame them, but to warn them. You're going too far. You need unity in the gospel. Come back to the simple gospel. Imitate me if you, if you can't do it alone right now. Because the kingdom of God is far more than you think. Verse 20, look with me. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. The kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. Verse 21, what do you wish? Shall I come with a rod or with love in a gentle spirit? Shall I come and just shame you and slap you down and say, come on, grow up? Or shall I come with a gentleness of spirit? Well, that's what he's saying he's going to come with. Because he could just give a talk of rodding. He could just give a a sentence of discipline. But actually, the kingdom of power is not talk. It's power. The kingdom of God is power. And so what does that look like? How much more powerful is it, friends, when somebody has a go at you or somebody's angry with you and you come into that situation with a spirit of gentleness? There's the power in the situation. Not, not spouting out loads of talk against them just to shut them up, to, to win the argument, to do whatever. But a gentleness is where the power is found. Paul moves from the kingdom of God to love incredibly quickly, but he cannot move there without going through power. Because you and I as basic humans cannot love like Christ. You and I as basic humans Natural people cannot be gentle as God has created. We are far too fallen. The nicest person in this room is far too fallen to truly love as Christ, but with the Holy Spirit, with the power of God in the lives of his people, we can see what love really is. We can, we can love one another with an outrageous love. We can be the kingdom of God. The nature of the kingdom of God, I want to give you three Ds is the dwelling and the dominion and the dynasty of God. The kingdom of God is the dwelling of God, the fact that he has come near, made home among us. We see that throughout the Bible, from Eden to the tabernacle to the temple to Christ, culminating in Christ. He's dwelling with us and then the Holy Spirit within his church. The kingdom of God is a dwelling, but it's also a dominion, bringing that kingdom of light to the kingdom of darkness. The dominion beats up the darkness. It comes with love against hate. The kingdom of God is dominion, but it's also dynasty, co-heirs, children of God being adopted in to reign with him. It's a dynasty. 
And the kingdom of God, therefore, as we, we may know, is now, because Christ has come, the Spirit is here, the church is being built, the dynasty is being built, but it's also not yet. Already you're wise. Already you're rich. The kingdom of God is not yet the already. It is fully coming. We are not fully there. It is now and not yet. And we don't want to have an over-realized sense of this, this, this eschatology. We don't want to think it's all here right now because the Bible's clear. But we also don't want to have an under-realized view of this end times, this eschatology. It is now because Christ has come and His Spirit is filling people. And we see power in the church but it's also not yet. There will be far, far more. The kingdom of God is now and not yet. But this kingdom is not like the world's. Because we just talk, don't we? We just chat. We have ideas and philosophies and, and take theology away from the gospel into all sorts of realms. We talk. But where the kingdom of God really is, is the power. And what does that look like? Well, there's all the fancy stuff you may be worrying about right now in your seat. Is he going to talk about, you know, we're going to see the healing now? Go. It is that. I do believe that the Holy Spirit's at work and does do extraordinary things that we count as extraordinary. But the biggest, the biggest power that we can ever see is someone coming alive from their deathbed. The kingdom and its power is the resurrection of people. The spiritually dead people to the spiritually alive people. The biggest power of the kingdom is not just talking about Jesus, but seeing lives changed by Jesus. Not just telling people the gospel, but seeing people come to a place where they go, you know what, I'm going I'm to follow the resurrected king. And then seeing their life change from A, B, and C to D, E, and F down that line of humanity where we become all the more human and so far from natural humanity. We see our lives turn over powerfully. How did you get rid of that sin in your life as your personality completely changes because Jesus is indwelling in me powerfully and I, and I want to live this way. I, I want to give that up. I, I now want to be with you weird people in a cold building. Not that cold today, praise God, but a, a cold building in the middle of Wimbledon on a morning I could be in the green. Our lives change because we know so much more powerfully. You're not just here for a lecture. I don't want you to go away going, what a great sermon. I want you to go away going, yeah, Jesus is, Jesus is here. I want you to go away not going, that was a really lovely way of talking, but saying, Jesus really met with us as a body through his word. And now we want to move. Are we all talk or are we powerful? The kingdom of God is one of power. And talk is needed. Words are needed, but friends, they are God's words. We should speak to one another. We need to discuss the word. We need to see what it's saying. We, we need to explore it. But the reality is we're asking God through it what he wants, not putting onto it where we're at. The kingdom that Paul speaks of is one that humans cannot build with their own hands. But it is a kingdom that God is building with his and inviting in all of the world to know, to come to life, 
to see real power of dead people rising again. And so Corinthians are just chatting about it, finding out their things, working out how their church should be. What's the best new fad for them to adopt? Paul says, stop talking. It's not what the kingdom of God's about. It is about the power of seeing people's lives turned around for Jesus. 2 Timothy 3 says, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. They'll be lovers of money. They'll be boastful and proud. They'll be abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control. They'll be brutal and not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That's what the last times will be like. And then he says, verse 5 of chapter 3 in 2 Timothy, they're going to have a form of godliness, but they're going to deny its power. Form of godliness, but deny its power. They're going to be religious people, but deny that it really does anything. You can say, Lord, Lord, all you want. Do you really believe that he is Lord and he does come into our lives? Let's not be in that group of people. And all those other groups, the boastful, the proud, the abusive, the disobedient, that whole group of people, you can see it around you now. We are in the last times in one sense. And Paul, he comes to them and he says, look, don't just chat about it, but do it. Go and get the power. The kingdom of God does not consist in talk but in power. And Acts 1, Jesus said, receive power when the Holy Spirit comes and you'll be my witnesses. We will witness to Christ. We will be his witnesses. The apostles started it and people received the power of the Holy Spirit and they went out to tell them of what? The simple gospel. It's the man walking into a room, a woman walking into her workplace, somebody going up to the school gates and, and being Paul in Corinth. Do you know anything about Jesus? Because he's not just an idea that you can follow. He's a Lord that can change your life, that can bring light into your darkness. It's an extraordinary gospel, and Paul wants them to know it. I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you, my dear children. So as we come into end, God has given us faithful people to imitate. God has given us fathers and mothers of the faith to look up to. And Paul, potentially the greatest disciple of them all, well, he's now gone and left other people in the wake of Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit for us to imitate. There are people that if you're struggling to to follow Jesus at this time, for you to look up to and go, you know what, Janet has an extraordinary faith that I want to imitate, just for a bit, just for a season, just for something. Imitate Paul in his word, in the word of God. Imitate all that Christ has given us in his word and imitate each other when you see Christ in people. But also this power of the kingdom is so much more than chat. We need to spend time together. We need to read the Bible together. We need to be vulnerable and real and and see God dwelling among us because it's God's dwelling place that he's building. And we want to be a church that looks for the kingdom in power, not just talks of it. We want to see hearts changed. 
People who didn't know what worship was, feeling worship for all it is. People who read the Bible but didn't, didn't get the Bible, suddenly understanding their hearts are open, that the Holy Spirit is speaking through the Bible to them, changing their hearts and minds. We want to be a church that prays, that we don't just talk about Him, but we, we see the power of the kingdom. That's the kingdom of God. And is this us as a body, and is this you as an individual? Are you somebody of talk? Do you actually know that the kingdom that you're invited into is one of action, one of power? If it's not you, then, then now's the time to go, okay, Lord, what, what is this power? Let's see some change in me, in others. Let's see what's going on. And how do we move towards this? Well, I know it starts with me. But it starts also with your personal expectation of God in your life. This isn't just a Bible full of words for you to learn. But this is the communication from a God who comes close to you in dwelling, who has given you his dominion so you can take light into darkness, show love over hate and has invited you into his dynasty of the kingdom. He's an extraordinary God. And I want to invite us today as we reflect on this, as we move from this, to just take some time with the Lord. Keep this passage open. Paul doesn't come to Corinth with words of shame, but, but as a gentle father speaking to children, for them to grow up and see the need for the basic gospel and that that's the power in the kingdom that they're part of. Why don't we pray as we move into a time of worship? Father God, we thank you for Paul's example for the church that they weren't willing to listen to, but he was willing to stand up in humility and say, friends, just, just imitate me for a time. Lord, if we're in that place, may we imitate, Lord, the people that are around us just to, just to keep us in line with the basic, simple gospel. The depth of the cross is so deep. The well keeps going down. We ask, Lord, that you keep us focused on that. And Lord, the kingdom that you've invited us into, we can spend our time in the kingdom just talking about it. But Lord, we pray for more. We pray for those friends that we've forgotten to pray for, who don't know you yet, to come back onto our prayer list to see them saved in your power. We pray for our fellowship and our, our transformation together, that we can love one another and rebuke one another and see each other grow in our own personal holiness. Pray, Lord, that people come to know our community here and don't just say, well, they've got a lovely story, but feel that they've got a powerful God. And Lord, as we go on in 1 Corinthians to see all the, all the stuff that does get us excited if we're that kind of person, with the spiritual gifts, Lord, may we know that they are secondary to the power of your saving gospel. Lord, may you be with us as we worship. Let's stay seated as we um, just reflect on this passage. And I'm going to offer you out some time, as we do now at St. Andrew's, 
where you can comment or question or add a word of prophecy to encourage the body. All prophecy is, is God bringing words to you to share for the building up of one another. It's you speaking, but it's him bringing things to mind. Therefore, it's not thus says the Lord. It's not, it's not God is saying. It's I think that this might be for the encouragement of one another. That's basic prophecy. It's nothing scary. But also comments and questions can hold words from God as we speak. So let's share this moment together as a body looking at the word. <laughs>